You're listening to audio from Calvary Baptist Church of Port Austin. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about us, please visit cbcportaustin.org. I'm sure everyone in this room at some point has experienced the feeling of being left out um, because of some, some sort of division. Um, I was thinking of different um, life stages, and I thought in elementary, maybe your parents wouldn't let you go to that sleepover that everyone else um, was able to go to. Um, and if you're a kid, be thankful for that, <laughs> because it's, no good things happen at sleepovers, okay? Um, in junior high, um, in junior high, maybe it was the cool kids um, who wouldn't let you sit at their table, so you kind of felt left out there. Maybe in high school, um, your crush didn't like you back, right? Again, probably be thankful for that, okay? Um, I think there's a country song about that somewhere. But anyways, um, these examples are somewhat light, but in, in reality, division is real. Um, in our world, and there is hostility, and there is more serious examples of this that we could give. We could talk about those of you who maybe felt like you just never, no matter how hard you tried, could never earn your parents' acceptance and approval. It just seemed like you had to bend over backwards, but you just weren't kind of in with with their love for you, and, and that's tragic. Or maybe you've been mistreated because of your outward appearance, or maybe at, at work you stood up for Christ, Um, and you lost a promotion, or you were kind of on the outside, and and people kind of made fun of your religious beliefs and and practices. And being an outsider is is never easy. Um, It's something that we've all experienced, and it is lonely. It's discouraging. In some cases, it's very serious um, and can lead to hopelessness. And in our passage today, Paul is going to actually remind these Ephesian believers that they were um, outsiders in the worst way possible. Um, that they used to be separated from Christ. They were alienated. They were without hope in this world. There was a sharp division between Jew and Gentile that kept them from experiencing the blessings of God's promises. They were left out, if you will, um, from the covenant people of God. They were in a hopeless condition um, in the world. And this is true for everyone in this room. Um, we were all at one point far away from God um, but Christ has brought us near, and that's kind of the theme of our, of our whole uh, service today. And in the same passage, Paul is going to encourage these Christians that even though you once were far off, now you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. And Christ has torn down the wall that separated Jew and Gentile, so that now unity is no longer based on ethnic background or religious accomplishments. It's based on the finished work of Christ. And that's why I say at our church, we ought to have a, a picture of that unity that, that everyone is welcome and that we are, we are loving and that our unity is not based on how good we are or how much we achieve or what we look like or what our backgrounds are. Our unity is based on the blood of Jesus Christ. And so if we're all bankrupt, broken sinners, then we don't have to come in here and pretend or put on a show or act like we've got it all together. Because the gospel says we don't have it all together and we desperately need a savior. I've heard Christianity sometimes described as a crutch, um, but, but as we saw last week, it's so much more than a crutch. We were dead, right? It's, it's a full stretcher, like bringing us to the ambulance in full operation, giving us a new heart and, and waking us up to the glories of God and his word. And, and so if you're here today and you felt left out before or you felt like you just didn't make the cut or, or like you could never measure up or like you could never maybe gain the approval of those who you kind of saw as the in. Um, Take comfort in this truth that Jesus has measured up for you today. And in Christ, you have the approval of the only one who really matters. I know I say that a lot, but we need to hear that. Because how often are we desperately searching for approval in all the wrong places? 
among our peers, among our coworkers, among people that really don't matter, if we're honest, compared to God. And in Christ, we have his approval. So we don't have to measure up or try to, try to meet some standard or try to fit on the in crowd. We're in with God's covenant community, the community of God himself. Now, that being said, once you go from separated to in Christ, in that covenant community, you actually do, in a sense, become an outsider in this world again. You're left out from some stuff. But, but it's a glorious privilege to be in with God's covenant people and to know that we have gone outside the camp, if you will, with Christ and we're with him. And, and so in the end of the day, that's really all that matters, right? We don't need to be in any other in crowd. We're with Christ. We're in Christ. We're with his people. And so that's what this passage, that's kind of a summary of what this passage is about. And as you know, I like to kind of tackle um, passages in threes. Uh, I think it's helpful for us to remember. Um, and you'll, be, you'll find that this is kind of an interesting flow here in this passage, that there's two kind of, um, or there's three phrases that kind of break the passage up. He starts by saying, at one time, in verse 11. So he's going to say, at one time, and then he's going to describe your past. And then he's going to say, but now you've been brought near. And then he's going to end by saying, so then. So you could kind of break this passage up and say, at one time, but now, so then. And that's how we're going to take this together. And the first one, kind of summarize it for you. At one time, you were without God. And that's a summary of what, all the stuff that he says, but there's really more. Um, it, we're going to walk through it. In verse 11 and 12, it says, Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Again, a pretty dark picture. Um, not quite as dark as last, um, last week when you're dead in your sins, but I mean almost, right? Almost as bad. So what is Paul doing? He's laying out the terrible conditions for those who are outside of God's covenant community. Okay, um, that's what he's saying. And, and first thing he says is you're separated from Christ. Why? Because you were a Gentile. Um, and so you weren't a Jew. You weren't in with kind of God's people at the time. Um, and so because of that, salvation is from the Jews, John 4.22. Because of that, you are separated from Christ. Um, and and when, it, when it says that they call him the uncircumcision, that was actually um, just like a derogatory term that the Jews used to describe those uncircumcised people. They, would, they, were very, uh, they looked down on them. Sometimes they wouldn't even look them in the eye. They would spit um, um, on the ground when they saw them pass by. And, and there was really a very sharp division between the two. And because of that, because Gentiles weren't welcome in, um, there was a separation from Christ. But not only that, it says you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Commonwealth refers to the rights and privileges of daily life as a citizen. Because we were Gentiles, because these Ephesian believers were Gentiles, they weren't in, if you will, with Israel. They didn't have those privileges of being in that community of, of going to the temple and offering sacrifices and having a high priest offer a sacrifice on their behalf. He continues, strangers to the covenants of promise. You know, in the Old Testament, God bound himself to the nation of Israel through a series of covenants that would usher in a host of glorious promises. But Gentiles had no access to those promises. Now, we, we were part of the plan all along, and you can look at the covenants and see that. Um, but Israel, they were made to Israel. And what's interesting is um, because of that, 
the Jews kind of felt like they were like the, the, the higher up, the, the, the elite, if you will. We're God's chosen people. And, and they would kind of rub that in the Gentiles' face a little bit. And there was just a very sharp distinction. And the covenants, um, I wish we could spend time on the covenants, but the covenants are really the backbone of the Bible. If you had to take one theme of the Bible, um, you could argue that it's the theme of God ushering in his kingdom through a series of covenants. Um, where he makes these covenants with people and makes these glorious promises. Um, and, and we see this um, with Noah and then with Abraham and then with Israel on Mount Sinai. And, and then we see it with David where it becomes a kingly covenant. And then we see this new covenant promised all throughout the prophets. And it's this amazing new covenant that they talk about. And they're like, one day God's going to make a new covenant and it's going to be better. And he's going to send his spirit to live within you and he's going to write his law on your hearts. Well, what's that talking about? Jesus, when he was uh, right before he died, when he took the Lord's Supper together, what did he say? This is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant is the gospel. That God would allow sinners to be reconciled to him through the blood of Christ, would receive the spirit, would have the law written on our hearts so that we would live not out of some duty, but out of love and out of grace. That's the new covenant. But as Gentiles, at that time, before this new covenant was ushered in, they had no hope. They had no access to these covenants of promise. And so all the future glorious hope that we read about in the Old Testament, it wasn't ours. It was the Jews. Like we had no access to it. And then he says this, having no hope and without God in the world. And so he kind of summarizes all of it, right? If you are separated from Christ and alienated from Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, then you have no hope and you're without God in this world. This is the ultimate result of not being part of God's covenant people. We're alienated from God, who is the source of all good. And we're living in a hopeless condition in this world. Nothing but destruction in our future. And twice, if you notice in this passage, um, Paul says to remember. So I want you to remember this. Remember that this was you. Remember that, that you were separated, that you were far away from God, that you had no access to these glorious promises. And I have a, a quote for you. Remembering God's deliverance in the past is more than a mere recall of facts. He's not just saying to mentally recall it. It should instead lead us to praise and obey, obedience to God in the present. To remember that that was us. That we were separated from Christ. That we were alienated from Israel. That we had no covenants of promise. That we had no hope in this world. We were without God. We, we had to live without God in this world. When we remember that. And then we get to this next section where it says we were brought near by the blood of Christ. It should lead to praise and joy and, and obedience out of just this overflowing love for God because of the love he's expressed on us. And so this first section, he's saying, remember that at one time you were without God in this world. You had no hope. When I was uh, preparing this, I couldn't help but think of the song, were it not for grace. That's, that's where we were. Were it not for grace. I can tell you where I'd be, wandering down some pointless road to nowhere with my salvation up to me. I know how that would go, the battles I would face, forever running, but losing the race were it not for grace. That's, that was us. Forever running, but losing the race, separated from God. You know, I, I can't help but think that we, we get to live with God in this world. And it says before we were without God, you know, when I go to funerals and I, and I see people who don't have that relationship with God, I can't imagine. I can't imagine going through this life without a relationship with my creator. And, and, and that was us before. 
And Paul's saying, don't forget that. At one time, you won't, you won't experience the joy of the but now and the so then until you understand at one time you were without God, separated from Christ, alienated from Israel. No community, no covenant people, no promises, without God, without hope. But thankfully, he continues, and he says, but now you have been brought near. Verse 13, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So that's that Gentile Jew distinction you can see. Verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. That's those who were far off were the Gentiles and peace to those who are near. That's the Jews. Um, And he says, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. And so at one time we were separated. At one time we were without God. At one time we were without hope. But now we've been brought near. That's what he's trying to lay out here. What does it mean to be brought near? He's saying we were separated from Christ. We were separated from God. But through the blood of Christ, we've been brought near into his presence, into his family. This is referring to the substitutionary atonement. I know that's a long word. We actually, in one of the songs, atonement was there. And atonement has the idea of covering over our sins. And so if you can imagine in the, in the courtroom of God, you stand before him as judge and you're, you're guilty. We're all guilty. We're all sinners. We, we deserve condemnation. We deserve wrath because of our sin. And imagine that you're standing there in front of the judge of all the earth. And he says, okay, let me look at your life. Let me look at your, your obedience. Let me look at all these things. And he says, you're guilty. Judgment is yours. But then Jesus stands up and he comes up and he says, I'm going to take their punishment for them. And in a real sense, God himself takes off his judge robe and steps down and takes the place and says, even though you're guilty, I'll take your punishment. And because of that now, we who were once far off, once separated, once way, way away from Christ, way away from God and the promises, have now been brought near. What an awesome truth. And not only that, he says, he made us one. Before the work of Christ, there was this sharp distinction between Jew and Gentile, and they were two groups. But he's saying his work on the cross has actually brought those two together. He is our peace. And he preached peace to those who were far, that's us, and those who were near, the Jews, and he's made us into one new man. You know, this distinction was so sharp um, that it really, it it was a very, very strong form of racism to the point where if a Jewish person were to marry a Gentile person, the Jewish parents would actually have a funeral um, for their child. Like, you're dead to me. And you, you, we've seen that portrayed in different movies with the extreme forms of racism like that. But it was so sharp. It was so distinct. That, that that's what it was. There were very distinct two groups there. But what he's saying is now you've been brought near. You've been made one with God's covenant people. And, and what this means for us today from, from an application standpoint is there is no division based on ethnicities. There's no division based on different, different skin colors or, or different socioeconomic backgrounds or, or different um, wherever you fall, whatever category you find yourself in. There's no divisions like that. We're one in Christ. There's, there's perfect unity because of that. 
And then it says he broke down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What's kind of cool about this, I almost put a picture up there for you. I probably should have, um, but then I didn't. Sorry about that. Um, but there's, this, there's, a, there's a picture of the temple, and you can see that and, and there's an actual, in the temple there's an actual wall that separated the Gentiles from the Jews. Um, and R.C. Sproul said a wall separated Gentiles and Jews, and signs were posted excluding Gentiles from the inner courts where sacrifices for sin were performed. And what we think Paul is doing here is he's actually using that to make a point. He's saying that wall, that very real wall that Gentiles were aware of, they were allowed into the courts. They were allowed to kind of glance over and see what was taking place, but they weren't allowed past the wall because they weren't part of God's people. He's saying that wall has been torn down by the blood of Christ, by Christ's work on the cross. And so we're no longer two groups. We're one now in Christ Jesus. And how did he do this? By abolishing the law. Sometimes we have a negative view of the law and we read something like that and we're like, yeah, But abolishing the law has the idea of he fulfilled it, and then he removed its condemnation for us who are believers. So the law wasn't bad. The law showed us um, what God is like, and Christ came and perfectly obeyed the law and fulfilled the law on our behalf, fulfilled it, and then removed us from its condemnation. And when you read the law, just the Ten Commandments, kind of a summary of the law, you're going to find yourself falling real short, right, if we're honest. We start going through that. People are going to start squirming in their seats, including me, right? Like none of us meet the Ten Commandments. And what Christ did is he obeyed the law perfectly, fulfilled it, and then removed all who believe in him from its condemnation. And in doing so, he abolished the law. He removed it completely. And this resulted in this one new man in place of the two. It says, so making peace. And then he says, he reconciled us both to God. So before we had no hope. We were without God in this world. But we've been reconciled to God through the cross. And the results of this, as we've mentioned a few times now, is that he preached peace to those who were far off and those who were near. And now we both have access in one spirit to the Father. If you can imagine that, well, you see the cross on the wall. If you can imagine on one group is the Jews and on another group is the Gentiles. And both groups have to come through the cross to get to God. That's what he's painting this picture of. And so there's no longer a wall. There's no longer a separation. We come through the cross and we have access to God now by the Spirit. To go back to that temple illustration, if you um, saw a picture of the temple and you were able to picture it with me, um, there's this inner, inner room where only the high priest could go once a year to offer a sacrifice. And there's some Jewish writings that talk about them actually tying this rope around the guy's ankle um, and it had bells on it. And if he went in there and, and he went in there in his own kind of pride and arrogance and, and wasn't going through the motions, um, God would actually strike him down right there just to show how holy he was. And they'd drag him out because they're not going to go in there because God is holy. God is just, right? And, and what he's saying here is now we have access to God. We can go into his presence. We have access to God through the blood of Christ by the Spirit. So, so we can, in a real sense, enter into the Holy of Holies. When Christ died on the cross, what happened to the veil that separated the holy place from the inner holy place? It was torn from top to bottom, which is a symbol of God taking that veil and tearing it so that all who trust Christ have access into his presence. In Hebrews, it talks about this in great detail, and it says we can come boldly to the throne of grace and find help in time of need. You know, those of you um, who, as a, as a child, were in a difficult time and you needed help from your parents, um, 
depending on your relationship with the parents, I don't know, everybody has different relationships, but for me, I had access anytime I needed to call my parents or to reach out to my parents anytime. I could bother them. If my dad was in a study working on a Bible study, I would just go right in there. I'd barge in there boldly, right? I was his kid. I had access to him. I could do that. I could call him anytime and get help. That's the picture that we have today as the children of God we don't have to feel like we're bothering God when we go to him or we're pestering him. The Bible says he sings over us as his children. That he has bowls of incense um, in heaven that he's smelling as a sweet aroma that are our prayers. The Bible says give him no rest until he answers your prayers. Okay? So that picture of like the little kid coming and saying, Mom, 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 and the mom kind of gets annoyed. Right? That's because mom's an earthly mom. Right? God doesn't get annoyed with you. You can go to him and say, Father, anytime. You have access into the throne room of God himself. What a privilege that we were who were far off. Picture that temple, okay? Here's the temple. Here's the courts. Here's the wall that separates us as Gentiles. Because I don't think anyone here is a Jew, okay? We were outside that wall looking over. Now we can go through that wall. We can go into the temple. The, the, The veil of the temple has been torn. We can go right into the Holy of Holies and get on our face before God himself in our time of need. And ask for help. That's the picture Paul is painting for us. At one time, remember, you were far off. But now, you've been brought near. Which leads to the next phrase, so then. So then, you are members of God's house. You are members of God's house. Um, It kind of has the idea of we're no longer um, separated at all. We're actually part of the family. Okay, we saw our past alienation. We saw... Christ's reconciliation, and now we have kind of implications of how to live that out. What does this mean for us? Well, we're no longer separated from Christ and the promises of Israel, and we're no longer without hope. What's interesting is if you looked at in that first phrase, all those things, Paul in the second passage actually undid all of those things. Okay, so we were separated. Now we've been brought near. We were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Now the two have been made one. We've been reconciled. And you can go through the list and see Paul lays all the negatives and then he lays all the positives, which shows that Christ's work undid all that was wrong. And so now we come to kind of the implications of all of that. And and we'll read verses 19 through 22. It says this, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You know, if, if your kids ever come up to you and they ask the question, like kids tend to ask um, questions like this. Where does God live? You know, you can tell them in a sense he's everywhere, but you can also say he lives within us, his people. We are God's dwelling place. We are members of God's family, of God's house. And so let's walk through those together. It says, first of all, that we're no longer strangers and aliens. We're no longer wandering about on some hopeless road to nowhere, right? We're no longer separated from Christ and the promises of Israel. We're no longer without hope and without God in this world. He goes on, he says, we're fellow citizens with the saints. So instead, we're, we're fellow citizens enjoying the activities and privileges of the people of God. All those privileges that come from being part of God's family, God's covenant community are ours. 
He says we're members of the household of God. This refers to our inclusion in the family of God with all of the privileges that come with it. Then he says we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Just a quick side note. This refers, we believe, to the apostolic instruction um, in the prophetic revelation that was given through the apostles and the prophets before the New Testament was here. And so what is he saying? He's saying the foundation has been laid for the church um, by the teaching of the apostles and prophets. And so what is that foundation? Well, it's recorded for us now in the New Testament. And so we believe that our foundation is the word of God today. That's right out of this passage. To quote R.C. Sproul again, he says, Since the foundation has been laid, there is no longer any need for apostles or prophets in the church. Until Christ returns, the church will build on this foundation, not by adding new revelation, but by coming to an ever fuller understanding of what the apostles have given us and an ever more faithful application of their teaching to believers. And then the cornerstone there, if you're running, okay, so the foundation is the word of God given through the apostles and prophets, the foundation of God's house. Um, but what is the cornerstone? It says Christ is the cornerstone, which is the critical, cor- critical stone in the corner that actually made sure that the whole building was square and stable. Isn't that awesome? That Christ does that for us. He keeps us in line. He keeps us stable. He keeps us grounded and, and sure. And then the culmination of this passage is at the end when he says we're a dwelling place for God. It, it's what, what it's saying is both Jews and Gentiles who were once two groups have now been brought together by the Spirit through the cross and we're the dwelling place. We're where God lives. We're the new temple. And in 1 Peter 2, um, it says that we're, he calls us living stones to kind of pick up that analogy and draw it further. That back in the Old Testament times, there was an actual physical temple. But now we are the temple. We are where God dwells. We're living stones. Which is why, if you kind of take that analogy a little further, church isn't always fun. Okay? I don't think it's fun for a stone to get kind of crammed in a wall next to another stone and kind of smack together as they're building the house. Right? That's sometimes how it feels in the church. You got this stone over here and this stone over here and this one's really rough and this one's not fitting right and, and you're messing it up too. And, and so God's cramming us all together and, and fixing us and shaping us and taking our rough edges off until we become a beautiful dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He's not done with us. We're a work in progress. We're living stones who make up the temple. Okay, And, and so, so that's, that's our, our reality. And if you look at this idea of temple, it's a massive theme throughout the Scripture. We don't have time to cover all of it, but I just want to quickly give you just a, a quick drive-by tour from Genesis to Revelation. In the Garden of Eden, there was no temple. Why? Because the temple is how you access God. And you didn't need the temple in the Garden of Eden because God's presence was everywhere. The Bible says that he walked among them in the cool of the garden. God's presence was there. They didn't need a temple. But then you get to sin enters and they need sacrifices and you get to the tabernacle, right? And and they're given instructions for a tabernacle, um, which was a way to access God, which eventually became the temple, a physical temple, which was how they access God. And then in in the prophets, you have all these big prophecies of this new temple that's going to come because the temple got destroyed. Okay, and and, and so then um, in John 1, the Bible says the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And that idea has the idea of him tabernacling among us. He, he actually, he came and he was the temple. And he, and he refers to himself as a temple. You remember he says, destroy this temple and in three days I'll build it up again. And we're like, what are you talking about? This took years to build. He's talking about his body. So what all of that pointed to, access to God, the temple, all pointed and culminated in Christ who was our temple who gives us access to God, which is why the veil was torn. And then he ascends 
After he dies for our sins, is buried, rose again, he ascends, and he sends a spirit to indwell us, and we become the temple of God. That's what, what, that's what Paul's saying. We are the temple of God. We are where God dwells through his spirit. And one day, if you read in Revelation 21, John says this, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Again, we're not going to need a temple. We're not going to need um, some sort of structure to get to God because Jesus himself is there. God himself is there and we're in his presence. And so that's the beautiful picture that Paul is painting for us. And if you think about this, because of all of this work in Christ, we have a new identity, right? We're saints. We're part of the temple of God. Not only that, we have a new community. We're members of God's house. We're no longer on the out, if you will. We have a community. And, and this is where it begins, this tangible expression of God's community. But as we sang that song, I love the glories of Calvary, the saints below, sing with your saints above. It's not just this little group in here. We've got Christians all over the world today that are lifting up the name of Jesus because he rose and he conquered death for us. That's our community. And not only that, all the sinners who were saved by the blood of Christ and who have, been, who have died and who have been ushered into his presence, they're part of our community. We're members of that community. So we have a new identity. We have a new community, but we also have a new power. If we're the dwelling place for God, what does that mean? That God is within us by his spirit. And so we have an, an amazing amount of power available to us as believers. That's what he's trying to say. He's saying, remember at one time you were separated. You were alienated. You were without God and without hope in this world. But now, through the blood of Christ, you've been brought near. So then, what does that mean? That means live as God's holy temple in the Lord. Rejoice in this new identity. Rejoice in this new community. Rejoice in this new power that's available to you. And so as to wrap this all up, I have a sentence for you, and it's not something to do this week, okay? It's just something to meditate on. I think that's what Paul wants for us. Remember who you were and rejoice in who you are, right? At one time, this is who you were. But now, by the blood of Christ, you've been brought near and you're members of God's house. So rejoice in who you are. And you know what the Christian life is? It's slowly becoming who we actually are in Christ, Right? Because it's already but not yet. We're in Christ. We're seated in heavenly places. All of our sins are forgiven. And yet tomorrow we're stumbling and we're tripping and we're falling and we're like, what is going on? And we're slowly becoming who we are in Christ. And that starts by remembering who we were apart from Christ. Peeking over that gate. Seeing the sacrifices. Seeing the temple. Seeing this glorious presence. But no access. No hope. No relationship with God. But by the blood of Christ, all that's been torn down, the Jews and the Gentiles have been reconciled, and we have access to God by the Spirit. And so now, in Christ, we are his beloved children. That's the, that's the truth I want you to meditate on this week, to rejoice in, and to let it shape the way you live. Christian, you were separated from Christ. You were strangers from God's promises, and you were hopeless and without God in this world. But now you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You are no longer separated. You are no longer strangers of God's promises. You are, no, you are now dwelling, the dwelling place of God himself, and your future hope is more glorious than you can imagine. That's what God has done for us through the cross. You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So remember who you were and rejoice in who you are today.